Well, I want to say good morning to those who are watching online, those who are watching by computer, by TV, also to our uh, Sugarloaf campus, to our Mill Creek campus, I want to say thanks. And just let me just say this before I forget real quick. So if you want to know the number one reason why we started this church uh, almost 17 years ago, it's right there. That's why we started this church. We want to reach the next generation for Christ. We're the past. They are the future. And I just want to tell these uh, young people out there how much I love them and how much I'm thankful for them. Would you just let them know one more time how thrilled you are at the way they just led us in worship? And You know, uh, um, I'm, I'm a big leader of leadership books. I'm a leader, and I try to be a better leader. I don't think you can learn too much about leadership. And since the modern era began, there's been about 15,000 books just written on leadership. But every now and then, there's a book that comes along, and it is so special. You just can't even see by the title. You, have to say, you say to yourself, I got to read this book. This is a different book. And about 11 years ago, there was a man named Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. If you like leadership, you need to get this book. It is a game changer. And he wrote it, and the title of the book was Why. That was kind of the short version. It was Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. Saw the title, I said, that has got to be a great book. And what Simon Sinek did was, he looked at some of the most innovative, influential, profitable leaders of movements and companies in history. He looked at Martin Luther King Jr. He looked at Thomas Edison. He looked at Steve Jobs. He looked at the Wright brothers. And he said, what was the common denominator that made all these men rise to the top? And he found out that they just began to ask one simple question, why? Why should you buy my product? Why should you hire me to do your job? Why do you think I should start this business to begin with? They asked this question, why? Why do you think my idea should be a good idea? He said they asked this question, why? Because he said, there are really two ways you can motivate people to do things. You can either manipulate them to do things, which people do all the time, or you can inspire them to do things. And what he said was, it's when you inspire people to do things that they really do things that last. And, and this is so true for a church. I, I know you probably get tired of hearing it because you hear it all the time. We, we, we tell you about what we want you to do. <clears throat> Read your Bible every day. Spend time in prayer. <clears throat> Share your faith. Invest in God's work. Go on a mission trip. Serve somewhere in the body. Do something for the Lord. And you always hear the what, but too often we don't really explain the why. And I understand just rattling off a bunch of things for you to do, no matter how noble or how good they may seem, it's not gonna go very far unless I answer the one question, why? You won't do the what till you understand the why. So I said all that to say that I really believe that the two greatest things, and I'm looking back on my life, and I would say this to all these beautiful young people down here, the two greatest things you will ever do with your life, all of your life, are these two things. Get involved in God's work and invest in God's work. You say, why? Why is that the most important thing? Because those are the only two things that will last forever. You're not gonna last physically. You're not gonna last forever. I'm not gonna last forever. This stuff, this world, this church one day probably won't be here. But God's work is the one thing that has an eternal impact. So what I thought I would do as we start a little series of messages today is, is instead of telling you what, I wanna answer the question, why? So let me answer a big question. 
Why did God come up with the idea of a church to begin with? This, this, this wasn't my idea. The, the, the building was, but the concept was not. Well, why did God come up with the idea of a church to begin with? As a matter of fact, why did he make the church the central piece of the puzzle to get the message of the, of the gospel out to an entire world? Why did he spend tw 27 books of the Bible written to churches? Why did he make the church such a big, big deal? Well, it all goes back to one job that he gave the church. One job that he gave to every believer. As a matter of fact, here's how big this is. The church is the only institution in the world that can do this job. Delta Airlines can't do this job. IBM can't do this job. The United States government can't do this job. The Army can't do this job. AT&T can't do this job. And nobody else in the world except followers of Jesus can do this job. Muslims can't do it. Buddhists can't do it. Hindus can't do it. Nobody in the world can do it except those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. He has given us one job. The problem is we're not doing that job. We're doing a lot of other jobs and we're not doing that one job. I like to get on YouTube and I like to look at funny videos. And one of my favorite videos is, is, is entitled, You Only Had One Job. Now, I just thought you might want to see a few of these just to kind of get us in a good mood. one job. Can you just do the one job? And I'm absolutely convinced when we get to heaven one day as a church and as individuals, God's going to look at all of us together and individually, and he's going to ask one question. You only had one job. Did you do it? I gave you one, not two, not three, not four. I gave you one job. And you say, well, what's that one job? We don't have to wonder. In a gospel called Matthew chapter 28, comes right before the other three Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus tells us clearly what our job is. Now, what you're about to read is not what he, what, what he just said then to 11 disciples 2,000 years ago. He's saying it right now to you and to me. And by the way, he doesn't just say it to pastors or preachers or priests or professionals or, or, or professors. He's talking to you and me, people of all stripes, people of all ethnicities. He's talking to you whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're educated or illiterate. He says it doesn't matter. We all have the same job. Here's what's going on. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He's lived 30 years. He spent three years with these 11 disciples. He's about to check out. But before he checks out, he says, okay, boys, you got one job, and I'm going to give you that job. Now, you understand something as a church. We get to decide how we do what we do. We don't get to decide what we do. We know what we do. We already know what we're supposed to be doing. We already know what the, what, what the, what the, you know, the yardstick is. And, and he gets very, very specific. He says, okay, as a church together and as individual followers of Jesus individually, this is your one job. 
And what I love about Jesus, I've told you many times, he always simplifies the complicated. You, you, you don't have to have a 40-page manual. You don't need to look up anything on Google. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you one job, your one job in one sentence that's going to be made up of one verb. Here it is. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's it. That's our job. Make disciples disciples. That is the why behind the what. So why did we start this church? To make disciples. Why do I preach what I preach every single week? Why do I present the gospel every week? Why do we give people an opportunity to trust Christ every single week? Because our job is to make disciples. Why do I encourage you when you leave this church to go out and live a disciples to the cross-shaped life, a spirit-filled life? Because we've got one job. Our job is to make disciples. So all of that being said, Jesus tells us three reasons why we ought to be excited to do this one job, why we ought to do this one job, and why we'll be blessed when we do this one job. And I'm going to say them to you super quick, so listen fast. All right, number one, we have the provision of his power. We have the provision of his power. Now, Jesus is a great leader, and he knows the number one thing you do as a leader is this. Never give anybody that follows you responsibility to do a job if you don't give them the authority to do the job. So the worst thing you can do, if you give somebody the ability, the, 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 the responsibility, but you don't give them the authority, you're going to wind up with a lot of frustrated people. I tell young pastors all the time, if you want to hire a really good person and then see that person leave pretty fast, give them a the responsibility without the authority. Every staff person I've ever had work for me will tell you one thing that's true about me. When Doc hires us, he tells us what we want to do, what he wants us to do. He gives us the tools we need to do it. Then he gives us the authority to go and do it. I don't micromanage. I don't get in their business. I expect them to know about what they're doing than I know what I'm doing. I expect Riley to know a lot more about high school ministry than I used to do it. I expect Riley to know a whole lot more about high school ministry than I do. I just, hey, Riley, if I can help you, I want to help you. But Riley, it is your job. So Jesus knows that, and he's talking to 11 disciples, and he's letting them know, I want you to go make disciples. And they're wondering themselves, how am I going to do this? You're talking to just us. And then Jesus says this. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Now, that was kind of mind-boggling. Because the word that, that Jesus used for authority is one of the most powerful words in the New Testament. It's a word that means both power and authority. You say, why is that so important? If I give you the authority to do something, but you don't have the power to do it, you can't do it. If I give you the power to do something, but I don't give you the authority to do it, you can't do it. What you've got to do to get the job done, you've got to have the authority to do it and the power to pull it off. You've got to have the power to pull it off and the authority to do it. That's exactly what that word means. And what Jesus was saying to these disciples was mind-boggling. He said, boys, the authority that I have, I am giving to you. The power that I have, I am giving to you. We, the church, we who are followers of Jesus, we are the only institution in the world, we are the only people in the world that have the authority and the power to go anywhere in the world and to say to anybody in the world, 
you are a sinner. You need a savior. Jesus is that savior. He died for you. He came back from the grave. And if you'll repent of your sins and give your faith to Jesus Christ, I don't care what you've done. He will save you. He will cleanse you. He will fill you. You will never be the same. You'll have a purpose in life while you're here and you'll live in eternity with God after you're gone. It just doesn't get any better than that. And he said, you've got the power and you've got the authority to do that. Now, I guarantee you, there's a, these 11 guys, you know what I think they all said at exactly the same time? You talking to me? You, you talking to me? We're, we're fishermen. We're farmers. We're tax collectors. There's not a college graduate among us. There's not an ordained person here. There's not a seminary degree on the wall. You're telling us, and by the way, we have all authority. It, and Jesus, oh, it gets better than that. If Jesus had said to them, all authority in Jerusalem has been given to me, Pontius Pilate would have stood up and said, not so fast. If Jesus had said, all authority in Rome has been given to me, Julius Caesar, the Caesar Augustus, the Roman army would have said, not so fast. Jesus said, all authority from one end of the universe to the other. There's not a square inch anywhere in the universe that's not under my authority and not under my command. There's not one random molecule out there running around doing its own business. Everything is under my control. Everything is under my command. And the authority that I have, I am investing in you. So why should we carry this out? Why should we go make disciples of all nations? Because we have the provision of his power, the authority that he had, he has invested in us. But then he does the second thing a great leader does. He says, okay, I've given you the authority and the power to do your job. Now, let me just remind you of what a great job it is. So number two, we have the process of his plan. We got the promise of his a power, the provision of his power. We've got the process of his plan. He says, look, you've got a simple job. It's not hard. It's in three stages. Stage number one, he said, you've got to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, let me just stop because the most important word right now is that little word there. And let me tell you why that's so important. If we don't do that, nothing else works. If we don't do that, the job doesn't get done. If we do, do, do not do that, we will have failed miserably. Everything depends on that very first word, go. So I'm gonna tell you something that may shock a lot of you, particularly those of you that don't come to church very often. So I wanna kind of help you out on something. If you're a follower of Jesus, your primary job is not to come to church. Because I know some of us, let's be honest, you think you've done God a big favor because you came today. Now, I'm glad you came. Thank you for coming. I'd rather you be here than be at home sleeping or like some of these kids right now, they're fighting to stay awake because they didn't sleep all weekend. I get that, okay? By the way, if there's anybody asleep right now, slap them. It's okay. Listen, just a joke, just a joke. Your primary responsibility is not to come to church. Now, you have a responsibility to come. Matter of fact, you're commanded to come. I said this in the first service. We've actually got people and some of them are watching right now. They have said, I don't, have to come to church. I'm just going to watch the pastor on TV. I'm going to tell you, you're out of the will of God. You're disobeying God. The Bible is very clear. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You ought to be here. So, you know, you ought to be in church. But let me just be honest with you. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, your number one responsibility is not to come to church. Your number one responsibility is to leave the church and go into your community and into your neighborhood and into your schools and into your workplace and do the job that you were called to do. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this, this one job that God's given us to do, you ready for this? It's the church's job to do it, but it will never be done in the church. You can't do this job in the church. So I, 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 let me put it to you this way. We are, we are to come to the church so we can go from the church and be the church for people who don't even attend church. Now, that was pretty good. Okay, I'm gonna say it again. We're to come to the church so we can go from the church and be the church for people who don't even attend church. You say, okay, so what are we supposed to be doing? Well, he tells us, make disciples, he says, of all nations. Jesus is talking to both disciples then and disciples now. So here's what he basically said. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the Bible term for that is disciple. Here's what Jesus said disciples do. You ready? He said, disciples make disciples. That's our job. That's your job, my job. Disciples make disciples. So one of two things is true about every one of you listening to me right now. You are either a disciple or you need to become one. Now, if you are a disciple, then this ought to be true of you also, then you need to be a disciple maker. Because what Jesus did when he was on this earth is what we're to do while we are on this earth. And by the way, while I'm in the neighborhood. So where did Jesus do his disciple making? I've told you this a thousand times in a small group. Here's his strategy. I'm gonna find, a, I'm gonna find 12 men. I'm gonna pour my life into those 12 men and that's how I'm going to make disciples. So for 12 years, he spent his years in a small group making disciples. So I just wanna remind you, the primary way we make disciples in this church is not in this service, not in this building. It will never happen here. The primary way we make disciples in this church is through a small group. I'm in one, every one of you ought to be in one. There's not a one of you that's so spiritual and so godly and so mature, you don't need to be in a group. I'm sorry, you're just not there. And by the way, if you are one of those rare people, oh, I'm too godly, I'm too spiritual, I'm too maturity, I don't need a small group. Okay, I'll grant that. Then they need you. Please, if you're, if you're one of those people, you're a lot better than I am. Come, I need your help. Because that's what we all need. We need to be in that group where we encourage one another and we love one another. And by the way, if you're not in the group and you say, okay, I know I need to be in a group. When you leave our building in just a minute, if you'll go out in the lobby to our connection table, we will tell you all the groups that are available. We will custom make a group for you. We'll help you find a group that you'll enjoy being in that will be close to where you live or, or at the right time that you can meet. We will do everything we can to get you in a group. Now, let me just stop here and make something else real easy. When I say you're to make disciples, we kind of freeze up. Because we say, gosh, I, I don't know how to make disciples. I, I do love the Lord, but, and I know you talk about it, but I, I just, I don't know how to do it. So let me just kind of help you on something. When you, when you know, you're sitting there thinking, okay, do I have to go through training? Do I have to get a degree? Uh, is there something I need to know? Let me just make this as easy as I can. Jesus spends three years with these guys in this small group. So he comes to the end of the road and he says, okay, boys, you got one job. Go make disciples. Doesn't give them a manual. 
Doesn't give them a notebook. Doesn't say, okay, go take this course. He said, just go and make disciples. And it's very obvious because they didn't ask what he meant. They knew exactly what he was telling them to do. Do you know what he was telling them to do? You ready for this? Boys, just go do what you've been seeing me do for three years. All, all you need to do. So let me give you some great news. Ready? The best way for you to be a disciple maker is just model for other people what it means to be a disciple. So let me just kind of brag on you for a minute. When you got out of bed this morning and you cleaned up, we're believing by faith, and you used mouthwash, we're really believing by faith, and you came to church, you know what you were saying to everybody in your neighborhood? You know what you were saying to people that were walking to this building as you were walking to this building? This is what a disciple does. You're a parent. When you read your Bible and your kids see you read your Bible, you know what you're saying to your kids? This is what a disciple does. If you're raising little children and you start teaching your little children early to say a blessing in a restaurant, you know what you're telling that little child? This is what a disciple does. When you provide, when you, when you take your hard-earned money that God gave you and you give God his tithe in your offering and you pass that basket and people see you put an offering in the basket, for example, you know what you're telling people around you? This is what a disciple does. When you get out of your house, raise some money, get involved and go out on a mission trip, you know what you're doing? You're saying to the church, this is what a disciple does does. He says, we're to be making disciples. And see, so when you get together in a small group with other believers and you study God's word together and you share your heartaches and your headaches and you get encouragement and you give encouragement, you know what you're saying to unbelievers and believers? This is what a disciple does. And Jesus said, we're to be making disciples. And I love this of all nations. So the first thing Jesus was saying to these disciples, now these are Jews, remember this, God's chosen people. He said, oh, by the way, boys, no discrimination. We believe in amazing grace for every race. We don't leave anybody out. We're gonna make disciples of all the nations. And by the way, the word, the word for nations there does not refer to countries or political states. It refers to people of different ethnicities, different colors, different languages, different cultures. One of the reasons why I tell people everywhere I go, why I love our church so much, I love our church. Because our church is so multinational. And our church is so multicultural. And our church is so multi-ethnic. Let me tell you something to make you feel good about our church. Of all the churches in the United States of America, you ready for this? Of all the churches in the United States of America, only 5.5% of all the churches, that's five out of 100, only 5.5% qualify as multicultural. What does that mean? Sociologists define a church that's multicultural is a church where no one race makes up more than 80% of the congregation. So if you've got one race or one ethnicity or one culture or one color and they make up 80 plus percent, they say, okay, you're not multicultural. You ready for this? This church is 41% minority. 41% minority. We've got them from everywhere. Ethiopia, Nigeria. They come from Europe. They come from Asia. They come from South America. I mean, they come from everywhere. And that's exactly the way Jesus intended it. Multicultural diversity is baked into the job that we're supposed to do. It's in the DNA of the gospel. 
And by the way, it was, it was that, supposed to be that way from the very, 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 very beginning. This will blow your mind. This is another reason why I'm so glad I'm a Christian. The Christianity of all the religious faiths in the world, listen to this. Christianity is roughly divided equally percentage-wise, roughly divided between Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, and South America. You say, why is that such a big deal? Every other religion, every other faith except Christianity, every other one has at least 80% of the people who believe it concentrated on one continent. We are the most diverse movement in history because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Don't you stay in Jerusalem. Don't you stay in Judea. Don't you stay in Samaria. You're to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So what does that mean? Okay, just put on your thinking cap for a minute. You cannot make disciples of all the nations unless something happens. Now, somebody tell me what's got to happen if we're going to make disciples of all the nations. What's got to happen? We got to go to all the nations. You're not going to do it in Gwinnett County. You're not going to do it in this building. You're not going to do it in your neighborhood. If we're going to make disciples of all the nations, we have got to go to all the nations. So you want to know the why we do missions? You know, some people say, look, man, we got a lot of lost people right here in America. Tell me about it. We, got, we could start in Washington, D.C. That would be a good place to start right there. I know we got a lot of lost people. I get that. But Jesus didn't say, just go to your country, go to your state, go to your county. We start there. We don't end there. He said, we're to go to all the nations. That means our job description doesn't just entail where we live. It doesn't stop at the city limits or the state lines or national borders. There was a man that went, on, went with us to Panama. His name's Brian. We asked Brian to share his testimony, and I said, you know, when I saw it, I said, you know what, I don't even need to preach. Just let Brian talk, and that'll kind of tell all I need to say. So just listen to Brian's testimony. My wife and I, we'd have always talked about a mission trip prior, even prior to coming to Georgia. And one of our prayers was that we want to be involved with a church that was just involved with not only local missions, but global missions. You know, after we completed a starting point, we was uh, sitting down in the bedroom one day, and we just, my wife mentioned, let's go to Panama. And I was like, and that's not like her. So I was like, okay, let's go to Panama. And we started getting information, and uh, then we went. The church that we were assigned to in an area called Caledonia, it was a very impoverished area. It was a drug-addicted prostitution and a crime-ridden area, but we just, we never feared because we knew we prayed, the people of Cross Point had prayed, and we just went. We just went. It was mind blowing. The pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church there led us to the street corner, and it, we, you know, we were just like, okay, what are we going to do? He said, just go. This man wants to hear the gospel. But it was so many people on the street corner that the translator I was using had to go to speak to someone else. And when he said, use him, he knows how to speak. He knows how to speak English. So we were just, he was translating for me. And this young man that was against a column there named Lucas, I was sharing the gospel with him through this translator. And he was rocking back and forth. And I was just, I felt God's presence strongly. And, and tears began to flow from him and from me. Now I didn't realize until two, uh, really a day, well, two days later, that my translator was a drug addict, just like Lucas. 24 hours later, I came across Lucas, and I didn't even know who he was. A pastor of the church had met, uh, motioned me over, and he pointed to this man, and I was like, 
who's this? I don't really know, but I just wanted to be polite. And I said, hello. The pastor recognized that I didn't, didn't know who he was. So he was just scrolling through his phone and he pointed and it was Lucas. And he was pushing his little boy in, his, in the stroller. And he told me, he said, because of Jesus, his family had been restored. He was now a father to his son that he had abandoned because of his addiction. I was amazed on how God used me, an unworthy vessel, to go through Winston, a drug addict, to reach the heart of Lucas. For me, I know God, I believe God is real. I know I've seen what he's done in my life, but to see his power, to use that experience and just see, God just saying to me, this is who I am. These, this is what you've missed, Brian. God has not called us just to sit and just get a good word, then go home and be ourselves. That right there just for me was just transforming. And I'll never be the same on what God can do. Isn't that great? <laughs> that, I call it, that's just a mic drop. And, and I just want to say to you, I, I want to, you know, not put you on a guilt trip, but you're missing one of the greatest experiences of your life not to go on a mission trip. I'm just telling you, it's just, there's nothing like it. And if you'd like to know more about it, we can tell you how to do that out there as well. And so I want to just kind of hurry on. He says, okay, we, we've got it. We got, you know, we, 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 we want to take, make disciples of all the nations, but that's not the end of it. He says, you, he goes on to say this, baptizing them. You know, I'm going to talk about this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to talk about it. Don't need to get into it. It's going to make it real easy. Again, what we did today, it's not our idea. I didn't come up with the idea. That was God's idea. Why did God come up with that idea? Because what we do privately, we ought to do publicly. If you give your life to Jesus privately and you're not ashamed of it, you want people to know it. That's why we in our church, we do not allow people to join our church who have not been biblically baptized. If you're here today and you were sprinkled when you were an infant or they poured water on you, I'm not knocking your religious faith or your tradition. I'm just letting you know if that's what happened to you, but then later you became a disciple, you've never been biblically baptized. Because baptism is to tell people what's happened to you, not what your parents hope happened to you or what the church wants to happen to you. It's what has happened to you. There's no such thing as an unbaptized believer in all of the New Testament. And so we baptize people. Then he says, you're not through yet. He says, then you're to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, he said, look, here's your job. Go teach people to, number one, trust in me, and then, number two, simply to obey what I want them to do. So we're to lead people to trust in Jesus, and then we are to lead people to obey Jesus, which is why if you're new around here, you'll see our mission statement. It's real easy. To point people to Jesus, that's make disciples, and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. That's baptism, and that's teaching them how to obey and do what God wants them to do. So we've got one job, three simple parts. He says, number one, get people to believe in me. That's discipleship. Number two, get people to belong to me. That's baptism. Number three, get people to be like me. That's teaching them to obey his command. So why should we do it? Why should we be passionate about it? Well, number one, we've got the provision of his power. Look, I've given you the power and the authority. Don't waste it. Go use it. Number two, we've got the process of his plan. I've laid out, this is exactly what I want you to do. But then he tells us one last thing, we're gonna be done. We have the promise of his presence. He says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, why do you think he said that? Why do you think he added that? Why do you think that was the last kind of the whipped cream on the cake? 
I'll tell you why. Because you're a fisherman. You're a farmer. You can't even sign your name. And this son of God just said, you're going to be my disciples. You're going to go to all the nations. You're going to transform the world. But you won't be alone. You won't be by yourself. I will be right beside you every step of the way. I'll be with you in every word you speak. I'll be with you in every person you talk to. I'll be with you every time you take the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus. I'm not going to throw you in the water and you don't even know how to swim. Don't let that be a second thought. I will be beside you. And I want to let you on a secret. I walked with the Lord a long time. And I bet you have the same experience I have. You know, there are times I feel like Jesus is just this close to me. But can I be honest? There are times I feel like Jesus is so far away, I can't see him with a telescope. How many of you have that experience? Can you, you know, please help me. Don't lie. Just go ahead and raise all your hands. Yeah, okay. Listen, if, you're the, you, if you say, oh, no, me and Jesus, we're just like that all the time. See me after the service. You got something I don't have. <laughs> that doesn't bother me because Jesus doesn't deal with us with feelings. But can I be honest with you? If you said, hey, pastor, in all these years you've walked with Jesus, when was Jesus the closest to you? I can tell you easy. I never, ever, ever feel the presence of Jesus like I feel him when I'm sharing him. Never. When I sat there in Panama with the president's wife, the president of Panama, the first lady of Panama, who's a nominal, who's a Catholic but not a believer, I'd never met her in my life, and I knew I had my one shot. And when I stood there at that table talking to her and her assistant, and I was just sharing the gospel, I got so emotional, tears were coming down my eyes, and I was telling her what Christ meant to me and how she could have a real relationship with God. You could ask the guy, some of a couple of them here, they were in this room. I want to tell you, I felt the power and the presence of God so thick you could cut it with a knife. You say, well, well how do you explain that? I'll tell you how. Jesus will be most real to you when you share that Jesus is most real to other people. Jesus will be most real to you when you share with others that Jesus is most real to them. So we've got one job. It's for all places, all time, for all of us to carry out. And that's why we tell you every week, have your one. Who is your one? We ask you that every single week. I'm asking all these students today, who's your one? Who's that one person you go to school with? Who's that one person you have lunch with? Who's that one person in your homeroom? Who's that one person you sit next to in your math class? Who's that one person and, and that, that you need to be that one to them to bring them to a faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ? So we're going to wrap this up and make it real practical, okay, real practical. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you today from wasting this message, from walking out of here the same way you walked in. I don't know what else I could say. I don't know what else Jesus could say to motivate all of us in this room who claim to be disciples of Jesus. Count me in. I want to do what he said. And I know now I can do it. I feel I'm so inadequate. Well, let me help you. You are. Jesus knew that. That's why he said, don't sweat it. You've got my power. You've got my authority. You've got my plan. You've got my presence. We're in it together. So here's your homework. 
Imagine what would happen if our church would do one thing. And this is my vision for our church for the next year. People always ask, what's our vision? Okay, here's my vision. How many of you, we're not going to ask you to sign a card, not going to ask you to go online or fill out anything. This is just on your honor. But how many of you students? How many of you singles? How many of you married? How many of you under 40 and over 40? How many of you would take this challenge? This is March the 1st, easy day to remember. The first Sunday of March next year, this is my challenge to you. The first Sunday of March next year, The empty seat next to you will be filled by someone you discipled. Someone you led to Christ. Someone that you saw baptized. Someone that you helped to teach to obey everything that Jesus said. Now you just look around you say, gosh, if we did that I don't know if we could get them all in here. We'll worry about that problem. Don't you worry about that problem. Can you imagine what would happen? And oh, by the way, what if it went so well, we said, let's do it one more year. So gosh, doc, you'd have to start a third service. Done it before. Wayne, you've been there, done, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. I can do it. I've still got a lot of energy. I mean, I got it, man. I can do it. So here's all I'll say and I'll be done. It still comes back to the why question. But, but why should I do it? Here's my answer, plain and simple. If the one that died for your sins, if the one that paid off your sin debt, the one who took hell so you wouldn't have to go there, if he just ask you to do it, how can you not do it? So together, we've got one job. Let's do it for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, before I talk to people I normally talk to, let me talk to those. I want to reverse this. You just remain seated for just a moment. You're a disciple? You, are you a disciple? Yes, I am. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes, I am. You have a personal relationship with God through Jesus? Yes, I am. Would you take the challenge? You've been given a job. This is for you. It's not just for the preacher, not just for the pastor, not just, it's for you. Your job's to make disciples, see them baptized, see them learning how to obey Jesus and become a part of his church. How many of you would say, pastor, with God's help, a year from now, I'm going to be one of those people that will be able to point to a seat next to me that's filled. Hey, this was my one. Or this was my couple. Or this was my family. Father, that's my prayer. And I take the same pledge that I'm asking them to make today. Lord, 
there are hundreds of thousands of people that live within five miles of this church. There's no reason why we're the most powerful message and the most powerful master and the most powerful mission. We can't fill this building time and time again. And it's not for numbers sake, it's for people's sake. If you're here today and you're not a disciple, you don't know the Lord, you've never trusted in Jesus. You may be a student here today and maybe you went through this whole weekend and maybe you know deep down, you know, I'm not a disciple. There's no fruit in my life. I I really do need to be saved. I really do need to trust Jesus. I need to do it today. Would you just, if you'd like to say right now, can I become a disciple? You can do it today. Can I help you do it? Would you please? Yeah. Just, Just say this in your heart right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to become a disciple. I want to live the rest of my life for you. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you're that Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. Come into my heart. Become my Lord. Become my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I receive your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And now would you give me the authority and would you give me the power to go do for others what you just did for me to make disciples. I'm just wondering, just every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't do this often. If you prayed that prayer just then and you meant it, now if you didn't mean it, if you just said the words, I'm not talking to you. But if you'd say, I I did pray that prayer and I meant it. And I did give my life to Christ. I did. Just real quietly, real quickly. Nobody's looking, just me. Right now, quick. Raise your hand right now. All over the building, raise your hand. Yep, there they go. Keep them up. Keep them up. Real high. Raise them high. Yep, over here. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, okay. You raised your hand, okay? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. One simple thing. In your worship guide that you were given today when you came in, we have a a card called Connection Card right at the bottom of your card. It's a tear-off. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you, there'll be a pen or a pencil in front of you right now. You can do it right now. I'm gonna ask you to take that card. If you raise your hand, take that card right now. I want you to do something. Put your name. Sign your name. Then I want you to give us some contact information, an email or a cell phone number or home address. And then at the bottom of that card, it says, today I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check off that box, okay? It's not hard. Now, if you checked off the first box, go ahead and check off the second one. I, I want to commit to be biblically baptized. Why, why should I do that? That's the next step of being a disciple. First step, you give your life to Jesus. Second step, you're baptized. You show it publicly. Now, you may say, I don't need to do the first step. I've accepted Jesus. But have you been biblically baptized? Not sprinkled as an infant, not had somebody pour water on you and you didn't even know what was going on. You might have even gotten immersed somewhere down the road, but you didn't do it because you knew Jesus. You did it because your buddy did it. But you've been saved and you've never been biblically baptized. I'm going to ask you to check off the second box. Then there may be some of you that say, I don't need to check off either one of those two. Well, you are 
member of the church where you're attending and do you serve in that church? And are you growing in that? Well, no, then you need to check off the third one. If you've been coming here, this is where God wants you to be. Here's what I want you to do. When you fill out that card, I want you to take that card out to the lobby as you walk out the door. There'll be a table there called Connection Point. Just take the card to, the, the, to that table and hand them that card. You don't even have to say a word. They'll just read your card. They'll know what you need to do. They'll give you the information that you need to have, and you'll be out the door and contact you later. Now, just in case you say, well, I, I don't have a pen or a paper. I don't, I don't really have the time to fill it out this second, but I'd like to go talk to someone. Then you just do this. Take the card with you. Go to that table. Here's all you got to say. Hey, I, I prayed with a pastor today. I became a disciple today. Or, hey, I, I need to be baptized. I want to follow Christ. Or, you know what? I need to join this church. Just tell them. They'll take the card. They'll fill it out for you. They'll give you the information you need. You'll be on your way out the door. So if you raise your hand and you meant business before you walk out this building, go to that table. Let them know what you have done. Let us follow up with you so we can help you grow in the Lord. And now follow the rest of us. Just imagine one last thing. The Saturday before the first Sunday of March next year, you're going to die. It's your last year on planet Earth. You're gone after this next year. Can you tell me of one thing greater you could do with your life in the next year than to bring one person to faith in Christ? To make a disciple of one person? To make sure that one person is going to heaven with you? Can you think of anything greater? I can't. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we've got one job. May we do that job either until we go to be with you or you to, until you come for us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.